some of this, Michael. Be one of us. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. No way in the hallway. Well, I'll be damned. It's good to have you back, Josh. How you doing? It's damn good to be back, and I'm feeling just fine. Ooh, all right, all right. So what's new with you? How's life been? Pretty good. Uh, it's very busy, as usual, but a very good busy, mm-hmm. and I'm feeling groovy, my friend. Feeling feeling just fine. Well, that's good. It's good to have you here. Um, when is that dang lunch meat magazine coming out? Hopefully, you heard about it. Yeah, I know. Hopefully next week, it. man. It's at the printer and it just got shipped. So as long as everything comes in and is looking good, it is ready to go. Sixty-four pages of VHS obsessed content, my friend. Well, so I'm very you, I excited. Can't wait to throw that thing on the back of my toilet and go to town. Uh, actually, we engineer our reviews to be read on the toilet. Nice. Yeah, it's the exact amount that you should be taking a poop. So yeah. Okay. It's about 650 words, just wow. for anybody else wondering out there. It's a lot yeah. of poop. I mean, <laughs> it varies, but you know. Well, that's exciting. I look forward to reading it. You know, as always, you're putting out the, the killer merch. You showed up at my house today wearing some killer white zombie shorts. Well, thank you very much, my friend. These are some of my favorite shorts, and I did get them from Thailand back in the day. So, where at in Thailand? Like a dude was just selling them on the street or something? No, I didn't go to Thailand. Oh. No, so I ordered them from the internet. From okay. Thailand. Uh, when I was working at Relapse, worked for Relapse Records for many years, and uh, my buddy was like, dude, check out these shorts. And they had like Cradle of Filth shorts, Pantera shorts, you know, and I was like, well, they got white zombie shorts, so I'm wearing the white, zo- I bought the white zombie shorts. That's what's up. Yeah, these are killer. They're super comfy. Yeah. And yeah. very appropriate for what we're talking about today. That's why I wore them, baby. Hey. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, we are talking about The Devil's Rejects. The Mm -hmm. sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. If you haven't listened to our House of a Thousand Corpses episode, it is up and it is groovy. Give it a listen. Before we jump into it, does anything off the top of your head, have you seen anything good lately? Maybe you want to throw out just a quick recommendation. Could be a new movie, could be old. Mm. Could be an old classic. I mean, I watch a lot of movies. Not including the 1993 rollerblading movie Airborne. Because, you know, that's coming up somewhere else. Oh, that's coming up somewhere else. Let's see. What did I watch recently? VH Snacking. Coming soon. Oh, yeah. That's going to be great. I'm really excited to release that. Hopefully people dig it. Um, Man, I'm drawing a blank. Let's see. I'm trying to think. I just put all, like, I have a stack of tapes next to my television in my mm-hmm. living room. And then, you know, once I get up to, like, seven or eight, I'm like, I got to put all these away. Um, But I would say, man, I want to talk about this movie called The Appointment which was released by Sony Home Video. Really obscure, but the opening scene in that is just so frightening and scary. It's this girl walking down uh, uh, like a dirt path, and she's just like ripped from from the dirt path into the woods. And it is like one of the most 
insane scary scenes ever i I like when i first saw it i was floored and i rewound it like at least 10 times and watched it to see how they did it but it's called the appointment uh the rest of the movie is kind of a sleepy thriller horror but uh that opening scene is incredible if you if you see the appointment check it out okay what year did that come out i've Uh, never heard actually i think it's late 80s Somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. What's, maybe early 90s. What's it streaming on? Is it streaming? Or I doubt it. I don't think tape? it's streaming on anything. It's just I think it's a VHS only, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, right. Sony did release it on home video. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I've never pretty heard neat. of that one. Yeah, it's pretty obscure. And um, but yeah, the opening scene to that is worth the price of a mission alone because it'll it'll blow you away. Like similar to how that scene in Extra, like when he when the when the alien walks across the street and you're just like, what just happened? <laughs> it's like one of those things where you have yeah. to rewind it and be like, how do they do that? Like, where did I just watch? It was wow. really, really striking and remarkable. So All right. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, I guess we will uh, just go ahead and dive on into Devil's Rejects. So, of course, you know, we covered House of a Thousand Corpses. This movie takes on drastically a different tone and feel and look and really everything. Are you okay with that direction? I like it. Yeah. I, think I really it, do. I think it was the, the right move. Yeah, I mean, because I think they want to frame the Devil's Rejects, this this uh, you know, this trio as raw, dirty, mean, hellacious, just scum of the earth murderers. You know, and I think to do that, you have to change the tone away from the comedy a little bit because yeah. it, it frames them as totally disgusting humans. Well, yes. Um, I feel like there's more comedy in this than House of a Thousand Corpses, though. Really? Oh, yeah, way more. Like the chicken fucker scene and like... There is comedy. I don't think that there's a lack of comedy or there's an absence of comedy. I just think that the tone of the film is far more raw, gritty, and, and violent and visceral. Yeah, it's both. He counterbalances the violence and grittiness with these moments of levity like the tutti fucking fruity, you know, like yeah. right after they just murdered people. So there's right. like this, it, it's much needed. You don't want it to be like full on extreme mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. But anyways, back to house. Um, I love that movie. I mean, we both love it, but yeah, I think, uh, toning down the, the cartoonish nature. Cartoonish is the word I was going to use. It is pretty yeah. cartoony. You know yeah. what I mean? And obviously Rob Zombie uses that aesthetic a lot. It's kind of this, this cartoon from hell kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very music video style. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, you know, five years after he filmed house of a thousand corpses. Most people think it's 2003, but of course it was filmed in 2000. So I'm sure by this time he was kind of over that aesthetic and he's been very vocal about having issues with house, you know, like looking back now, he's like, uh, yeah he says it feels amateur and there's a lot of mistakes and there's things that he would do differently and um you know which is in some ways i think it's kind of charming that he can go back and do that and i still find it a very enjoyable movie but you can see the direction he wanted to go with devil's rejects right like you said this whole kind of tonal change and everything so yeah this movie feels a lot more focused (laughs) yeah i would say so let's just go ahead and jump on into it. The Devil's Rejects was released July 22nd, 2005. Budget of $7 million and made around $21 million. So the movie kicks off. We got the, uh, I love the little bluesy tune 
it starts the movie off and we see a 2005 macbook slideshow of (laughs) (laughs) it does look a little bit aged like uh you can tell they like whip that mon the little collage of uh crime scene photos up and you know. Yeah, the Photoshop on it doesn't look too great. The color all, color balance is kind of off or something. It looks very fake is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's... I never noticed it back in the day, but looking at it now, it's like, mm, okay. Well, that stuff ages naturally. Yeah. You know, and I think they wanted to have it like very vibrant. Mm-hmm. And looking back, they probably should have just created the books and then yes. shot them. You know what I mean? Instead of doing it digitally, but... At least they actually created the other books in the they movie. Did, which I thought looked so- cool. Yeah, you don't want them holding up like some digital, like imposed image onto a book or something. So, May 18th, 1978, Sheriff John Quincy Wydell leads a search and destroy mission on a decaying farmhouse. Blah, blah, blah. Known as the Devil's Rejects. So, we see uh, Tiny dragging a naked woman through the woods. Now, the actor that plays Tiny, Matthew McRory, he injured his ankle. So up until he takes the burlap sack off, that is a stunt double. Yeah, where do you find a seven foot four stunt seven double? Seven foot dude? four stunt double. I don't know, but they found one. They did it. Well, props to the stunt lady that he's dragging through the woods because I'm like, man, those like leaves and dirt are just getting all up in our ass. It's gotta hurt. I yeah, mean, you always wonder how they do those those stunts where you're like getting dragged over stuff or you're dragged from the back of a car. I think some of them you just have to say, let's just do it. It's going to fucking hurt. But yeah, I think done. what they do for car drags is they put some sort of like uh, mylar or metal protective like uh, thing on your back. So mm-hmm. so it's not totally hitting your skin. I don't know for sure, though. That's what I assume. Well, hopefully she had something. Yeah. Uh, Sheriff and his posse roll up. And uh, unfortunately, there is no Walton Goggins in this movie because, boy, he's needed. <laughs> God damn, damn grease monkey. Don't he's back rest, throw anything away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we meet William Forsyth, Sheriff John Quincy Wydell. Total badass. Uh, William Forsyth passed away in 2010, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, God, apparently, like, everybody in Rob Zombie movies, they just... They just die? This is almost like they're cursed or something. I mean... Pretty much the whole cast of House of a Thousand Corpses is dead. Damn. So anyways, uh, yeah, he's like, let's do what God made us to do. You know, they're about to fire on the farmhouse. The Firefly clan loads up on their weapons. And if you notice, RJ is played by Tyler Maine this time. Yeah. Tyler Maine would go on to play Michael Myers in Rob Zombie's Halloween a couple years later. I like the, uh, the countdown here. And the freeze frames mm-hmm. makes a nice build up. Then we got us a good old fashioned uh, rootin' tootin' shootout on our hands, which I think is exceptionally well shot. It really is. It really is. Mm-hmm. And you know, like the, the you're very engaged and it's very violent, um, obviously. But I mean, it's just it's action packed. And you know, you want to start out your film with something that grips the viewer, right? And I yes. think this does a great job doing that. Mm-hmm. I also love their metal masks that yeah. they have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, who cares about your body? You just don't want to get shot in the face. Right. I guess that's what they're saying. Cause R- <laughs> RJ has like a full body armor, right? That, that yeah. comes into play. You'll talk about that, but I love that they all put on their like war masks. It's pretty cool. Yeah. What if he shot you in the face? Yeah. 
That was a risk we were, we were going to have to take. A little Dumb and Dumber reference. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Josh is like, I know the fuckface. <laughs> <laughs> Real original Dumb and Dumber reference. I will take every and any Dumb and Dumber reference in my life all day. Every day. <laughs> so they throw tear gas in the house and we go slow-mo. And our boy, Kane Hodder, is in one of those gas masks, apparently. Yeah, uncredited. He always slips in there. Hmm. Kane Hodder is in everything. I mean, this movie has an incredible amount of notable cameos. Yes. I think Rob Zombie made it a point to get some of his heroes and heroines inside of this movie. And I'm sure we'll come come to that. But, like, yeah. Yeah, and prop, props to Rob for, like, uh, reaching out to these horror celebrities that for better or worse their careers kind of circling the drain he like gives them a leg up and like gives them a pretty big opportunity i mean sid Haig has said himself like you know before house of a thousand corpses you know he wasn't getting any work and mm-hmm. rob zombie essentially revitalized his whole career absolutely he made him iconic yeah you know and i think you know sid Haig's career beforehand was very cult Yes. You know, and he was he was a cult hero and in a lot of great films, you know, Spider Baby and, you know, so on and so forth. But I totally agree. I mean, he made him a household name again for horror people. Yeah. Yeah. So the family pops up and they start firing. The cops eventually overtake RJ while Otis and Baby are running out and Mother Firefly runs to his side and uh, she tries to kill herself, but... No dice. In a very badass fashion, too. Yeah. Like, you ain't getting me, coppa. <laughs> you ain't getting me, coppa. And uh, uh, what do you think like was going through her head besides, you know, not a bullet, but I mean, what do you think was going through her head when she clicked that empty barrel? Mm. Yeah. When she heard the click? But she was going for it. I mean, she like, was going for she it. was going to do it. Looks like you ain't getting off that easy. Oh, yeah. bitch. <sighs> Cue Midnight Rider by the Almond Brothers. And we get a title card. I dig this whole credit scene, the freeze frames, and once this music starts, this is when you really know, like, okay, this is a different kind of movie. Baby and Otis kill a lady and steal her car. We got some news footage. The most horrific crime scene since Jack the Ripper stalked the streets of London. What a line. Eh, not really. What a line, I mean. He only killed four people in London. Yeah, I mean... I feel like it's just a really recognized murderer. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you want to use something like that to sensationalize the, the depth of, of the, the heinous crimes. Yeah, you know? I mean, this was 1978. Wasn't like Gacy before that? Wouldn't that be a little more accustomed to... I don't know. I'm going to have to check my serial killer calendar that I don't have. But I, I really don't know. Um, it's, But I get it. I mean, Jack the Ripper, you want to put as many nods as you want. He has so many nods in this movie that we'll get to. But yeah. Yeah. Well, they find a book in the house with pictures of Captain Spaulding in it. And we cut to Sid Haig's old balls banging retired porn star Ginger Lynn. Yeah, I mean, dude, I haven't seen this movie in years, right? I probably haven't watched it since it came out. So I revisited it for this and I was like, I was watching, I was like, that's Ginger Lynn. Like, whoa, that's Ginger Lynn. And you like, you get excited, you know, because it's like, wow, he thought to put her in here and I think that's one of the mechanisms of him putting these old, uh, you know, older stars, you know, these these older names in there. Because you're like, oh, man, I know who that. Oh, well, that's so cool. And it gives you a little bit of excitement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that's cool. Yeah, for sure. And 
Well, she's done, um, she has a pretty extensive filmography. So he wakes up to not Ginger Lynn, and Rob Zombie shows us that screenwriting we know and love. It's like, <laughs> God damn it, did you, did you get enough ass begging last night? My dick's still sore. <laughs> <laughs> the worst dude is when he gets up out of the bed and he has those shit stains on his oh, underwear. God. Oh, God, it's so gross. So Spalding watches his commercial. I really like that little part. I guess that's the most House of a Thousand Corpses thing we're going to get in this movie. Probably. And while we're here, I wanted to talk about he's still using that sort of mixed media visual approach. You know what I mean? Because you have the standard film that we're watching, which is obviously high def, well shot. And then you you have the television screens and you have, like you said, the Jack the Ripper um, news reporter. Like that's, mm-hmm. that feels like video. Mm-hmm. You know, and he uses that mixed media a little bit, which I which I really enjoy. And it's it's more difficult than you think to blend that stuff and make it seem seem seamless. Mm-hmm. But he really does a good job. So, and also while I'm thinking about it, like I like later on in the movies when uh, there's like the little eight millimeter footage of Baby and Otis and Spalding like hanging out in a field, and those are like spliced in. Oh, you're talking about cuts. towards the very end, right? Yeah, and I think uh, I think I see a few of those. Kind of thrown in throughout the movie at a couple of parts. He still does use it. It's very sparingly. You know, like a percentage of, of what he did in-house. So. Yeah. But it's still there, which I appreciate. So Baby calls Spalding, tells him to get down to the motel. You ain't going nowhere, bitch. But <laughs> Boopy. <laughs> Stop no. calling me Boopy. God damn it. Woman, leave me alone. <laughs> See, here's, here's something for me. Maybe I missed this in House of a Thousand Corpses, but I, I never took captain spaulding as their dad yeah i didn't either and so you realize that daddy get down here and it's mm-hmm. like oh well oh this is this is your dad Does this also Otis was like not his son though? that's what i was thinking too is that he never she says my brother but he never says my son mm. that i can yeah. re- that i recall that i can recall um uh, yeah i've heard that Baby is Spalding's daughter, but Otis is like maybe adopted or just yeah. Well, know. Mother Firefly is a very uh, illustrious prostitute, promiscuous so, woman yeah, apparently. Yeah. So, bet them farm boys love you. And so what? Also, everybody made... likes me, Sheriff. <laughs> I got the thing. So, um, it also makes me think the the backstory to Tiny when he all went up and got crazy on us and burned the house down was that Captain Spalding that put Tiny in in the situation he's in oh wow um no that was uh rufus she's like rufus just up and went dead oh uh, was it rufus yeah i thought it was daddy okay uh-huh. that's my bad that's my bad yeah no no good uh good catch there yeah um i'm not sure tiny's backstory i i get the feeling that they just tiny found them and they took them in and you know i, I don't know yeah, but hard to say. Whatever. Uh, the first of three Terry Reed songs start to play. I love Terry Reed. Very mm-hmm. underrated musician. And we meet Ken Forey counting his money at the whorehouse. Another big cameo. Yeah, another big cameo. And this isn't even a cameo. I mean, this is oh, he's this got is a, a supporting role. He's got a straight up role. Yeah, yeah. I've met Ken Forey before. Uh, humongous hands, big dude, sweet as hell and cool as fuck. Yeah, like he's I... he's this guy. You I've know. never met him, but I totally believe you because he just kind of gives that vibe, you know? Yeah, real yeah. down-to-earth guy. You gotta hustle that pussy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, again, here we go. We're going to talk about this all episode. I mean, E.G. Daly, 
you know, as as, as the the prostitute. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. Do you know E.G. Daly? So yeah. she she mm. was in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, right? She's Donnie. Okay, yeah, I read that. Yeah, and then she's also the voice of Tommy Pickles. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I mean, it, it's so cool to see her in that role, and I love Elizabeth Daly. I think she's so pretty and so cool and such a great actress, you know, and she did a lot of cool stuff in the eighties that nobody knows about like, like lower budget stuff. So it's cool to see her in there and do that role. Yeah. She yeah. does a great job. Uh, the casting in this movie all around is perfect. I think I like the, uh, the part where um talking about doing the star Wars stuff and Ken Forey for some start getting into that space shit. You're going to bring like, out the real weirdos. Like, I still say it's too risky. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's too risky. It's like, bro, you're running a whorehouse. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Star Wars bringing out the weirdos, I guess. <laughs> droids, boss. They're called droids. Michael Whatever. Berryman, Michael Berryman. Another yeah, big Michael kid. Berryman from Hills Have Eyes. There you go. I mean, you know, and I mean, obviously Hills Have Eyes, but so much more like Gorgon Video Magazine and you know, all, these, all these other things. And Michael Berryman is a staple of, of that kind of era of horror, you know, so, so cool to see him in there and yeah, have that sort of. He was in weird science. I mean, he was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So we meet Brian Posehn and the the family band, Banjo and Sullivan. And they're, my titties don't fly out. <laughs> <laughs> you had one titty going this way and the other titty going that way. Well, um, Otis and Baby pull up to the motel. I love this location, by the way. It's like, cool. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of cool locations in this movie. Filmed in 30 days, by the way. I think it's, I've read that it was all filmed within like a couple blocks of each other or something like that. Maybe. It seems very contained. I mean, the the Firefly farmhouse was at Sable Ranch, which has since burned down, unfortunately, in the California wild. How ironic, because they hey, burn it down in the movie. There you go. They do burn it down with Tiny inside. Rob Zombie uh, telling the future, I guess. <laughs> and uh, Matthew McGorry died a month later after filming, so... That's a little sad moment. Yeah. So Roy is uh, going to get some ice and baby walks up to him. She's uh, flirting with him a bit. I bet all the girls want to fuck you. Can you say that again? <laughs> I shook hands with Johnny Cash. You know that. Yeah, I love how his story like like vacillates between like I played with Johnny Cash. I shook hands with Johnny Cash. <laughs> Johnny Cash talked to me. And I love the uh, the Morris Green show that's on TV. It's like one of those like Christian talk shows from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Look up Christian Nightmares on Instagram if you love that kind of shit. Great follow. You do send me some things from Christian Nightmares from time to time. I'm I like, do. Oh boy, oh boy. I love that page. Well, Otis sneaks up behind Roy. He's like, let's go, Hoss. Puts a pistol up to him. And they're going to the room. Meanwhile, um, Adam, I believe, is inside with uh, Roy's wife. Rugsville can kiss my ass. Ain't nothing but a bunch of cousin fuckers cornholing the livestock. <laughs> and then they walk in and uh, hold him hostage. I love his line where he's like, fuck me running. <laughs> fuck me running. I want to incorporate that. Who am I, Roy? Me. I love the moment where baby, like, they're, you know, they bust in the room. Then she's like, God damn it. Look at that jacket. It's like on TV. <laughs> it's like the, the jacket that the band is wearing. Yeah, I love how they just, they do have these moments where they become, like, almost real people, right? That have, like, 
soft sides you know what i mean like oh look at this really cool piece of fashion and he's like i don't give a damn about this tv he's like fuck the jacket we got business at hand here you sound so much like him. <laughs> you sound so much like him well your boy brian posein knocks on the door is roy in there <laughs> do i have the wrong room <laughs> oh roy's in here all right i love how they like they make him get on his knees and he's like roy help <laughs> <laughs> they just shoot him in the fucking face. It is still brutal. That is is probably my one of my favorite scenes in this movie because it is so shocking still. Like, um, let's rewind back to uh that scene in house where they, they have that elongated, you know, like uh uh murder. Yeah, when he makes Walton Goggins get on his exactly. knees. Exactly. And I think that's kind of a throwback to that, but it's like the opposite, right? Oh wow. Yeah. So it's like the opposite end of the spectrum where it's just so fast and quick, like holy shit, that dude's dead. Like and it was so brutal and murdered in front of everybody. And uh side story for Brian Pussain, uh when I worked for Relapse, we put out his comedy album. Okay. And um I didn't know Relapse put that out. That's it, cool. Yeah, so we put out his uh his comedy album. And he came out for a signing at the relapse store, which was on South Street at the time. And my buddy lived above the relapse store. They used to have an apartment above it. And uh, my two buddies lived there. Uh, not at the same time. My friend Greg lived there, and then he moved out. My friend Ben took the apartment. So we would hang out there all the time. We recorded some albums up there and things like that. So essentially, he was doing the signing. I would say like five people showed up or something like that. Really? Like not a great turnout. And uh, was this before this movie? Oh. <sighs> I don't remember when 2005 i think it might have been after maybe yeah. around the sounds same about time. right yeah so <clears throat> and he was like um you guys want to get high <laughs> and we were like uh sure so we just like went upstairs <laughs> and like smoked with him and like talked to him for like 35 minutes and we got super stoned because he like he's brian Pisani, he has like killer stuff right yeah and uh then he was like we talked about movies and some metal and stuff like that and um he was like all right I'm going to go buy some comics and he just like got <laughs> up and left. And like, I never saw him again, but he's super cool. Very chill. And he sounds exactly like the person he portrays, which is, he really does. I he get... talks like that. And he, he you know, he all right. Makes very little eye comics. contact. And, um, he was cool. So side story, Brian Persane is actually a cool person in real life. That's awesome. That's Shame they shot him in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Roy, yeah. help. <laughs> well, Spalding's car is out of gas and he totally needs a new ride. Totally. Get it? Because uh DJ Souls. Yeah. How, you're totally. Like, you're like, yeah, again, fuck face. I know. Totally. <laughs> but some other people might not get it, you know? That's cool to bring it up. <laughs> well, uh he runs into PJ Souls, of course, Linda from Halloween. And um I met her as well. Mm-hmm. Total, totally a sweetheart. That's what I hear. I've never met her, but I've always, always heard good things. So. I have a Halloween poster over there signed by her. It says, to Phil. Totally. PJ Soul. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I need to frame it. I should ask her. I should say, can you put to Phil, go get me a beer? I forgot. It slipped my mind. Damn. One of my regrets. Next time. Next time. This is a hilarious scene with Spalding and the kid. Mm. Oh, man. I love it. That's going to scar that kid forever. Yeah. I'm gonna kill your whole fucking family. Get out of here! I'm glad they put that back in there because I love when he does that. That yeah, yeah. There's a little house nod. Yep. So now we're at the probably the hardest part of the movie to watch. Like every time I watch this part, I'm like, 
like the uh you know when otis is uh makes his wife get up and makes her strip and then oh well first baby's like dancing in front of him Mm -hmm. you looking at my uh my sister thinking thinking unclean thoughts or something i'm a married man a married man let's give it up for the married fucking man So, yeah, of course, I'm talking about the part where Roy's wife strips and he's putting the gun on her nipples and vagina. It's a little gnarly and uncomfortable. It's like, all it's right. It's way more gnarly and uncomfortable. Yeah, and apparently there's, um, on the DVD, there's some extended parts of this scene that were cut. Yeah, the hotel scene. Yeah. So, meanwhile, it cuts to more news footage of Mother Firefly being let off. And it says, live. 3.30 p.m. So it got me thinking, how late of sleepers are the Firefly planned? So, I mean, they did the raid. You know, I'm, I'm assuming this footage happened, you know, maybe an hour or two later. So were they just sleeping until like one? Yeah, dude. What do you think? They wake up at the crack of dawn? They're I probably up all night partying. Maybe they do all this killing because they're depressed and their circadian rhythm is off. I mean... I never thought about it Why that hard. Why you make a movie about that, Rob? I Zombie? mean, none of them have jobs. How do they get money? They steal it from the dead bodies. I mean, they don't have any time to get up. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're just, you know, the day's passing you by. Well, get maybe if up. they fix their circadian rhythm, they wouldn't be such assholes. Try taking melatonin, Otis. Get you back on track. I took melatonin one time. I took a melatonin gummy, and I'll never do it again, because I had the most insane dreams ever. Oh, well, yeah, you get used to it if you take enough of it. No, I wasn't. I was done with it. First night, I was done. I was like, dude, I can't. I have intense dreams anyway. Like, like so I took that melatonin, like, gummy, and it was just, I felt like I was on planet Zebutron in my dream. I, I, could, I couldn't even deal with it, man. Like, I, I couldn't. So Planet Zebutron. Yeah. Is that a real place? Uh, it I, is I, now. I've been there. So oh, okay. I don't know if it's real, quote unquote, but I've been there. Oh, man. All right. So... There's a police interrogation between Lydell and Mother Firefly. I'd really like to talk about, her name's Leslie Easterbrook. Leslie Easterbrook, yes. It's really hard to come into a movie and take over a character, right? Especially one from Karen Black. Yeah, I mean, Karen Black really personified that character, nailed it, defined it. Mm -hmm. And I guess Karen Black wanted too much money and Rob couldn't pay her. Yeah. Which is understandable. She's, you know, she's a... A name and um gotta pay for the scientology classes yeah exactly gotta pay for something but i thought that uh easterbrook did a great job and made the character her own and of course there's the the physical differences but i thought they were very similar and i also thought that she really leaned into the um sexual like part mm-hmm. of it that made her even more dripping with grossness you know what i mean so yeah she um I have no complaints with her. Mm-mm, I think she did a really good job. Yeah. Well, she shows Wydell a pick of his dead brother, and uh, that really burns his biscuits. Yeah, and biscuits are burnt. <laughs> burnt to a crisp. That's right. Was he kin to you? He, like, pushes her up against the wall. I'm gonna kill every last one of you. And this is when Leslie Easterbrook turns it up to fucking 11. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'll see you in fucking hell. Yeah, man. I, I think it's awesome, you know, because we don't really get to see 
mother firefly freak out like that in the first one really when maybe when she's a little drunk in that one scene who's your daddy yeah that's that. about crazy as you get I guess. yeah but she's mostly like kind of like bubbly flirty reserved mm-hmm. you know and not reserved but um but yeah I, easterbrook did a great job let's say it again she is uh not scared to do some jaw flapping in this one no right? yeah <laughs> oh. no i love that <laughs> I love the transition scenes here. You see like a pic of Roy and Adam like in happier times and mm-hmm. and fooled around and fell in love by Elvin Bishop is playing. Good song. Killer soundtrack. By yeah, the way. we gotta talk oh, about the soundtrack man. if we're gonna if we're gonna take a detour here. The soundtrack, like they use so many great classic songs. It's just catered perfectly. And I remember I had the soundtrack back in the day and we would play this soundtrack all the time when we were just like partying because like each song you get like little movie clips in between it's just a good soundtrack to if you're having some beers with some friends it's just a good mix and yeah i don't know i mean the thing is is like with the house of thousand corpses did they use a lot of famous music in that they didn't right not really i recall and these are all like famous songs Mm -hmm. you know that have a really wide scope and like you know a lot of people have heard him is what i mean so it was pretty interesting to see that that dynamic change a little bit at the time it definitely introduced me to some new artists like this movie introduced me to terry reed who is i mean i play terry reed quite a bit and three of so us, you can attribute your fandom to that oh to this movie yeah like That's he cool. has three songs in this movie alone cool so otis leads them out to an abandoned farm and Rob Zombie said that when they were location scouting, like he just stumbled upon this place and he was like, you couldn't build a set like this with a million million dollar budget. He was mm-hmm. like, there were like dead chicken bones in the dirt. You know, mm-hmm. like you can't like it's perfect. Right. So he's leading them out and uh, he's like, well, we're going to dig up some guns and uh, and that's it. That's the end of the road. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, you're not going to kill us, are you? Yeah, mister, we did what we said. I love how matter of fact they are with him. Like, they don't even seem angry or they're just like, we did what you said. What else do you want us to do? Yeah. I I wouldn't even know how I would react in that situation. You know what I mean? So, Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I never said anything. And second, I'm calling the fucking shots. Consider me Willy fucking Wonka. This is my chocolate factory. Boom! Right in the back <laughs> of the head. And listeners, please write in and tell Phil how much he sounds like Otis, because is it just me or you just, you're nailing it? I don't know. I, I try, but thank you. I think thank you, you are, bud. So Adam and Roy nearly get the upper hand on them, on Otis, but Otis opens up a can of whoop-ass. Yeah. A whole fu- a fucking gallon size of whoop-ass. Stabs one of them in the knee. Yep. And, uh... Hits Roy in the balls with a big stick. and Make sure to hit the balls. Yeah. Ooh. How do you recover from that? <laughs> <laughs> from a, a nasty ball shot? I mean, the kind, the the amount of pain Ugh. that that Otis takes in this movie, that all of them take, really, we'll get to that, but, like, it just seems like that's cartoonish to me. Like, how do you, how do you even, like, live through that or, or like, function through it you know he's otis man yeah kind of superhuman i guess well he gets on top of adam and please mister stop stop bitch i have just begun (laughs) 
I was gonna take it easy on you, and you had to come in here walking big stick tall like a fucking hero. Well, look at you now, hero. You're gonna bleed to death. Yeah, wow. This whole scene is awesome. Yeah, it is. Like, it is. shout out to Bill Mosley. He fucking kills this role. So he owns it, dude. Yeah, I mean, and this absolutely. and this line, "I am the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's work," was a little altered line from Tex Watson, the uh, from the Manson family. Yeah. Apparently, he'd said something very similar. And it's uh, as you hear Adam screaming, it's spliced with "I can't quit you, babe," but I gotta put you down for a while. Yeah, and it's Another also the song. juxtaposition of these songs too. Yeah, you know like, what I mean, yeah, the application of them in the situations, which makes them a little more stand out to me. So yeah, and kind of like what we were talking about, like the counterbalance that Rob Zombie used. You just had this really gnarly, brutal scene, and he's cutting this guy's face off, but the splicing it in with this footage of the song playing, like, mm-hmm. lets the air out just a bit. And it yeah. flows like this movie transitions really well. Like there doesn't seem to be like a lot of jarring cuts to this part and back and forth. And I think the music and the transition scenes helped that a lot. Yeah. And this was another good one. So we got a uh, Sherry Moon zombie. She's hanging out in the motel with the other two ladies. And let me ask you, Josh, what do you think of Sherry Moon's? acting here she's like you can go piss yourself for all i care what are you gonna do for me i think she has her character down pat i think that she knows who her character is Mm -hmm. um and so she can play it pretty well i mean i think this was definitely a bigger challenge for her because she didn't have much acting experience at all right yeah so i mean she knows who this character is rob's gonna direct her they have a very close personal relationship so they can probably communicate a lot better than most people on set Mm mm-hmm um but to answer your question more directly i think that she does a fine job i think there are some there's some spots where it's not so good yeah do any come to mind like did one specific thing stand out i don't think she can fake cry for anything um i think at the end when when they're being um you know obviously spoiler but there's all spoilers but at the end when they're being tortured Mm. her fake crying is not that great you know And and i think to be able to that's a that's a hard thing to do you know to to force laughter or to force any sort of like physical emotion like crying like that's hard to do and it was very obvious to me seeing comparatively to her performance and other people's performances in general that her fake crying was not really on point to me yeah she's good in this you know not amazing but good she plays the part you know i don't think she steals scenes or anything like that i think that she does her job and and plays her character well, she is hazing them in this scene, apparently, where essentially she's like, I want you to hit her in the face. Now, fry like bacon, you freshman bitches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the girl's in the bathroom and she starts freaking out and the other one picks up the gun. She's like, go ahead and shoot me. Shoot me right in the ass. And that is like three of seven butt shots of Sherry Moon's zombie in this movie. No, you think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Showing well, off I think we skipped over one of the most badass parts of this film where she's like, you know, she's hiding the knife and then she like tosses it into her heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. I mean, like to, you know, because obviously they're all trained killers and they've been, you know, killing people for years and years. But for her to have the the killer instinct to like, here's my knife and you have a gun, I'm just going to 
throw this knife into your heart. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's pretty badass. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, can't argue with that. Yeah. So, other homegirl, she's running, freaking out. She runs into Spalding. Daddy, grab that bitch. And he knocks her out. I would, uh, I would run right past that dude. I would never <laughs> ask somebody that looks like that for help. I think she just ran into him like, I don't know. Like I put a spin move on that dude and just, just, <laughs> just get right out of there. I mean, like <laughs> Josh just, would be like Deion Sanders. Yeah, just, I mean, I'd put the, I'd put a, you know, just a crossover or a spin or something. <laughs> turn I mean, the boosters up. I mean, I mean, I don't think Captain Spaulding's got the moves. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably so, not. Yeah. So this is the scene with the movie expert guy. This, oh man, talk about comedy. I love all this. Yeah, he's funny. I happen to be a self-proclaimed Marx Brothers expert myself. You've got the right guy. (laughs) Or whatever the hell he says. I'm sure your knowledge of bullshit is limitless. (laughs) Yeah, and I I looked this guy up and I did it in a very cursory look. I didn't really recognize anything. So forgive me if I'm missing something major, but... He didn't, his mustache was fantastic, by the way. This dude's mustache is outstanding. Um, But I was hoping you were going to ask me, Josh, one of your classic questions, who would you rather see in this role? Oh. And I already know. Who? Would you like to know who I'd like to see? Sure. I would love, I would have loved to see John Waters in this role. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you imagine John Waters walking into this this scene right now and just like- I'm surprised Rob Zombie didn't- call him up and try to get him in he might have done it you know who knows but i would have loved to have seen john waters in this role well if there's ever like a vhs killer you're gonna be this guy they're like we got an expert he's coming (laughs) in like all right josh tell us what you know about this uh this tape here he left this behind the at the crime scene you're like oh well that's a super rare tape so that was produced in like yeah, and we're going to trace it back. We're going to look at the eBay auctions. We're going to look at all the trading inside of all the Facebook groups. We're going to find exactly where this came from and where it shipped to. Lunch meat is on the case. Yeah. So he crosses the line when he disses Elvis. And he's like, what the hell you say about the king? That gyrating hip bastard Elvis Aaron Presley stole all the fucking headlines. Yeah, I love how he loves Elvis so much. Yeah, he's like, what'd you say about the king? Yeah, he said something like, if you say one more bad word about the king... That was Aaron Presley, I will beat the living shit out of you. Exactly, yeah. I had a moment like this. So, okay, quick story time. Back in like 2008 or something, Danny can vouch for all this. I was at a... We were at a house party, and uh, there was this dude. He was kind of being a dickhead. He was like kind of off on the other side of the room. Uh, We weren't like really talking to him or whatever. But uh, I think we started playing Pantera or something uh-huh and this guy's like oh is this fucking pantera it's like three years after dimebag died he was like fuck dimebag daryl i'm glad somebody shot that fucking loser blah blah he just started going off i was like hey man shut the fuck up like i don't know you but you need dude you're about to cross a fucking line right now and Danny's like dude just I was like, fuck that. He's not going to talk about Dimebag like that, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, fuck him. I love that, dude. Well, first of all, I mean, that's a human that you're talking exactly. about. I mean, not like, just like a musician or a persona or like a, a, a famous person, quote unquote. I mean, that's a human that you're talking about. Yeah. And I don't think he realized the brutality of it when he was saying, you know what I mean? I, But yeah, I would definitely say something, too. I'd, I'd get hype. I'd be like, dude, do you even know what you're talking about? Like... <laughs> Come on. It's like, you can't get this dime bag like that in front of me, dog. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, 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 no. No. I totally get it. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> so got, what, what, what happened? Did you just, did you just what like, happened? Um, I think he just eventually left and I had to like go into the kitchen. Danny was like, yo, dog, just let it go. And I'm like, man, I was like, better tell that dude, shut up. <laughs> like, I'm far beyond driven right now and I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm far beyond driven, dude. Uh, he's there's about to get the Great Southern Trend Kill up all in his face. There's about to be a vulgar display of power up in here. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope he said something like that. Cause, oh, my oh, God. Shit, yeah. He kind of would have deserved it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Ooh. I'm getting hyped right now. Yeah. It's hot out here in the spook I shed, see the man. veins popping out of your dude. fucking forehead, dude. About to bust. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Otis shows up <clears throat> wearing Adam's skin mask. Uh, Otis holds up the mask and oh, this part's hilarious when he puts up the skin mask to the girl. He's like, we regret to inform you the Banjo and Sullivan show is canceled tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Super next, dark. Yeah. Super dark comedy, yeah. But that part made me laugh my ass off. I was yeah, like, yeah. it's kind of fucked up. I'm laughing at this, but so the next day the maid finds the homegirl in the room. She finds all the Finds Brian Posehn body, and, and this the, the display in the bathroom, right? Yeah, what's it say on the wall? It's like something fuck, dead fuck, dead fucks. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it says. And it says "Devil's Rejects." They oh, they do right. market. Yeah. So, girl that's hanging up on the back of the door, she gets loose and tackles the maid or something. And anyway, she runs out into the road and splat. So now we meet. Danny motherfucking Trejo and mm-hmm. Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, I love this casting here. Yeah, were you a wrestling fan growing up? Nineties, all I was all over it. In the okay, 90s. so you know yeah. DDP. Oh yeah, I'm about to drop a diamond cutter on your ass. Yeah, you wish. <laughs> Not before I tombstone your ass. <laughs> you wish, punk. <laughs> well, speaking of tombstones and diamond cutters. Um, that's that's a good podcast name right there tombstones and diamond cutters <laughs> yeah. and there has to be a one out there called that we're gonna look that up uh uh because the undertaker plays a bounty hunter in some movie oh man i wanted to look it up so i could was so it I could the drop. uh hulk hogan movie um suburban uh, commando no i want to what was the movie that had like speed boats and stuff <laughs> in hulk hogan was, thunder in paradise yes yeah. Yeah. Is that the one the Undertaker's I in where think, he's a bounty hunter? I think that's it. I don't know if that's it, but Undertaker definitely plays a bounty hunter in, in some other movie. So I could see him in this role. That's what I'm saying. That like they they, cool. they could have went for Undertaker, but they went for DDP, which I think is a is a great choice because he's obviously, you know, yeah. built for it. Yeah, so. a very imposing figure. Yeah. Um so yeah, Wydell hires DDP and Trejo to hunt down the family. So now we see the family in the van. Reeling in the Years by Steely Dan is playing. And this seems to be like kind of a turning point in the movie. Like all this stuff kind of normalizes the characters in a bit. You see them as just regular people and not as like these sadistic killers or cartoonish over the top killers like in House of Thousand Corpses. You know, Baby wants to pull over to get ice cream, but Otis doesn't want to. You know, just stuff like that. There's no ice cream in your fucking future. Yeah, and this is where, like, I talked about it before, but this is, like, where I start to see the decline for me in this movie. Um, Because we were talking about how the woman, you know, flops on top of the the housekeeping Mm -hmm. uh, maid. And um, so when she's running around, right, because we kind of skipped over this, but 
she runs out and then there's i guess that's a nod to pet cemetery right where she gets flattened mm. by by the that's by the truck of, that's a bit of a reach it, it might be but i mean like yeah. who knows right but i think like i know she's traumatized distressed but why would you not take the mask off why would you not take your boyfriend's <clears throat> face off your face and I, run around looking like that i thought of that upon rewatch as well um I, it just doesn't seem believable and look i'm all about suspension of disbelief i yeah. am because you know i watch a lot of weird movies a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff but i mean she's just running around with this mask on and take it off like <laughs> yeah. i just like it's your boyfriend just take it off take like it you're off. trying to find help right i mean like you you have your you you have to know that you have this on. oh wow and she was hung up on the back of the door the entire time wearing the mask and her hands were free yeah why didn't he just like at least tie her hands behind her back or something i could kind of understand that yeah i mean i mean spalding did say leave her for the maid to clean up so. yeah and then the maid does come so I guess you're right. I mean, you were not wrong. I had the same thought, like, just take it off. Yeah, I mean, it adds to the film, right? It does. I mean, if she took it off, it wouldn't probably be as entertaining or gruesome or... And also that visual of her running with the mask on, that was used in a lot of promo for this movie. Exactly. If I'm not mistaken, I think there's a poster with that image. Probably. I mean, it is is a jarring image, and and I think that's why they didn't have her take it off, believable or not. You know, and the other thing that I want to say about this is she runs into the road, almost gets hit by this blue car. Yeah. Right? So she dodges one car and then gets splat, right? Mm-hmm. This truck driver must have been not looking at all. <laughs> I love that like, you were just poking holes in this. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm just like, no, this is fine. how I feel when I watch this movie, right? Because this is where the decline starts. And here's why is because you say it starts to become more normalized. I think it starts to become more cartoonish because- the cartoonish vibe in House of a Thousand Corpses is all throughout it, right? Mm-hmm. But the reason why I love the first 85% of Devil's Rejects is because it is so raw and visceral and mean. Mm-hmm. And like, it's nothing cartoonish about it. This is like raw, murderous filth. And then all of a sudden it starts to become like more cartoonish. And we'll get into it as we go through, through the synopsis. But I mean, like, this is where it starts to fall off from that. It's like such a huge tonal shift to me. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I would say that I don't think cartoonish is the word. It becomes unbelievable is what I would say. You think so? Yeah. Like, and there's also, like I said, suspension of disbelief. I'm not, you know, a stranger to this notion or or this this piece of of filmmaking, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll, uh, there's there's plenty of more stops along the way where we can kind of expand upon that mm-hmm. um but i like all this stuff you know the the ice cream and the tutti fucking fruity that's a great scene like, it come is on, this it's is really funny. funny it is really funny it absolutely is you know and put a little bit of ice cream on otis's nose that's the cutest part of this movie <laughs> right it kind of humanizes them a little <laughs> bit just right? so you know folks when josh said cutest he like twinkled his fingers a little bit he it's was cute. like cutest <laughs> <laughs> you know and um you ever had Tutti Fruity? No. Is I don't it? think I have either. Okay. You want to get some later? Yeah. Okay. I guess there is ice cream in our future, apparently. Tutti fucking Fruity. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, man. So, Whitehill has a dream sequence and sees his brother, George. And uh, thank God our boy, um, oh, his name escapes me. Um, oh. The dead cop. Tom Towles. Tom Towles. Yes. 
Um, good to see him like get another reprisal of this role. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of creepy. He's like, "What are you doing down here, George? I live here. This is where I live now." Walton Goggins is just like, "What the fuck? Y'all just gonna forget about me? I'm in the basement. I'm in the basement. <laughs> hey, let me out of here, goddamn it! There's <laughs> <laughs> all this shit down here. I ain't got rid of it. <laughs> There's a goddamn cock spanker down here. <laughs> <laughs> Almost bit up my pinky toe." <laughs> Oh, man. He wakes up to the unholy two calling him, saying they know where Charlie lives and where the family's heading. And White L goes down to the interrogation room and kills Mother Firefly. Yeah, it, it's very, it's it's sexual. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because that's that's kind of her prowess. You and, know what uh, I mean? Takes a page from Cannibal Corpse's book and fucks her with a knife. Yeah, he does. It, but I thought he put it in her stomach. Oh, yeah, like not, you know. Yeah, not literally. Yeah. You know, something else that bothered me about this this scene, and it's probably just me being nitpicky, but he gives her a little kiss. Does he? He does. I, after I after he knifes her and she starts to, to die away, mm. once she starts, he gives her a little kiss on the face, and I don't know what that means, you know? Well, at this point, Wydell is starting to turn into something far worse than... The family. That, and, what? Yeah. I mean, he, like, he... He did murder her, yeah. Yeah, like, at the, like <clears throat> by the end of the movie, you you hate Wydell. You want this fucking asshole to die, basically. But he's serving justice on these people that have killed a hundred different people in, in like, torturous ways. <gasps> yeah, that's the brilliance of this movie. It's like you side with the killers. See, I don't. I don't. I don't feel any kind of sympathy or, or. So when you watch From Dusk Till Dawn, are you like, man, fuck George Clooney? No. <laughs> no. So kind of same thing, right? Yeah, but I guess it's all how you represent it, you know. And I mean, I think this is interesting, and I think hopefully the listeners will think about this too. Like, do you feel sympathy for the Devil's Rejects? Like, do you side no. with them? Do you feel like? Because obviously they're they're going for the anti-hero kind of yeah. thing, right? I don't feel like they're heroic whatsoever. You know, they're not fighting against any kind of other bad thing. They're not they're not uh, justifying anything. They're not reclaiming anything. They're just straight up, you know, backwoods murderers. So why would you feel any sort of sympathy towards them? I mean, it's not a rhetorical question. I don't I'm, know. I'm asking the question like, yeah, what is the sympathy that they're trying to garner? Is it just because they're so awesome and so cool and like, oh man, they're like the ultimate, you know, murderous family? It's like, do you feel sympathy for for Leatherface when when he gets his leg chewed up by by the chainsaw <laughs> at the end? I mean, right, right, right. I, I I don't. Um, I guess it comes down to human nature. I think there's a part in everybody that roots for the outlaw in some way because I. I don't know. It's like we look back on like legendary characters like uh I don't know. Like uh famous bank robbers or something. And it's sure. Like, yeah, like they did bad stuff, but they're like somehow immortalized because they were on the fringe of society and they did what the fuck they wanted and even though we inherently know that that's bad, there's still a part that kind of respects that in a way well i think it's an intrigue more than yeah. respect and i think that's where all the uh murderino culture comes from people that 
love reading about serial killers that love watch serial killer do- serial killer documentaries i mean yeah like for me there's a huge huge difference between a uh, piece of shit like ted bundy and bonnie and clyde but there's people that are like oh ted bundy's hot you know and, and like that, don't that, get me fucking started but uh, that is but we have to bring this up because there is a parallel here about rooting for this fictitious serial killer family mm-hmm. you know and what is that attraction what's that affection and what is why do people love it why do people want to say like oh man you know the the devil's rejects that family is so awesome and that's yeah. where it lost it on me is because he starts to really glorify this family as being some sort of murder heroes and i don't really i don't connect with that yeah, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, but hey, why do people love Stone Cold? Because Stone Cold drinks beer on the job and tells the boss to go fuck himself. And he stuns, and we all and wish, he stuns people, yeah. And we all wish we could do that, but right. we can't. But he's not killing people and ripping their skin off and putting it on his girlfriend's face. Yeah, The Undertaker does that. Right. So What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just tombstones, but you know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll touch upon that a little bit more, but that's an interesting. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying, but even though I, even though you're technically right, when I watch this movie, there's eventually you warm up to these characters in a way. Of course, you're not like saying like "fuck yeah, murder's cool," but for characters in a movie, I don't know. I guess you're just eventually you kind of cross to their side, and you're you're on their team and you're on this little journey or I don't know. No. And I mean, what you're saying is valid. And I think it circles back to the scene that we just discussed about the tutti frutti because it all of a sudden makes them look like a fun loving family mm-hmm. with the ice cream on the nose. And then like, you know, razzing their brother and things like that. It's, yeah. it, it does create some sort of positive aspect to this family, I guess. Well, the family pulls up to the uh, the titty twister. Speaking of from dust till dawn, I uh, wish it was the titty twister. Yeah, wet pussy, brown pussy, <laughs> and a brand new flavor, <laughs> apple pie pussy, pussy, <laughs> snapping pussy. If you can find cheaper pussy anywhere, <laughs> fuck it. Oh, Cheech Marin is the best. Well, Ken Forey comes out with his uh, water shotgun, pulls a little pulls a little prank on the family. Yeah, they were scared. Yeah. They were shaking in their boots. Yeah, I mean, these parts were funny where he's like, ask Otis, he's like, are you still an asshole? He like flips in the bird. Like, it's funny. It is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. And we got a party montage while Rocky Mountain Way is playing, doing coke and getting drunk and smoking the reefer. Smoking the reefer. All the while, White L is tough talking the mirror, mm-hmm. you know? Getting pumped up to get, get for full pumped. retribution. So the next day we got the chicken fucker scene. This part's just comedy gold to me. I mean, I was laughing out loud while I was yeah, watching yeah, yeah. this. Now, y'all ain't playing on fucking these chickens, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you fuck chickens? Well, I thought about fucking a chicken. It's <laughs> just so random. I mean, I love this part. Yeah, and then he gets, you know, super gross where he's like, uh, oh, you cut its head off and oh, Yeah. Just, yeah, it's it's pretty nasty, but it's funny. So they run into Wydell and he tells them to have all three members accounted for at midnight. Yep. And uh, Wydell is at the cookout with the unholy two. 
DDP and Wydell almost getting a little tussle, but Trejo breaks it up because, you know, he's the man. Did you notice those, I think, Jinkos that Danny Trejo was rocking? I feel like he's wearing Jinkos. They were very wide legs. Yeah. If not, they're like Lee Pipes or something. (laughs) Oh. Like some other, like, There's a throwback. Yeah, the Lee Pipes. They didn't have, like, the sick black and white stripe down the side, though. That yeah. was a look back in the day, dude. I mean, everybody wanted Jenkos. If you didn't have Jenkos, you weren't shit. Airwalks and a corn shirt. Straight What's up. What's up? I mean, I'd almost still wear that today. Did you ever wear a chain wallet? Of course. Oh, dude, I had a chain wallet with with uh, <laughs> safety pins attached to every link, so it had like this extra clank and like a little <laughs> extra reach, dude. And then I had a ball. I had, I rotated. I had the regular chain, right that you got at the at the uh, hardware store, mm-hmm. and then. I had the ball chain. Oh, yeah. That was the look, dude. Oh, yeah. And then you have people with chain wallets. I had like three or four chains. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was so. like 12 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, they're like leaning to one side. You would sit down on, at your uh, your seat in school. It's just like metal. On oh, wood. I couldn't wear a chain wallet in school, dude. It was impossible. You would, they would take it from you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah you couldn't wear like, a chain wallet. Sorry, guys. Can't wear your chain wallet. But I mean, I can remember many times going to the mall and sitting on those like benches that have like the holes and like you go to get up and you're like, oh, wait a minute. And your chain, <laughs> hold on. My chain wallet is stuck is probably the most popular phrase <laughs> in, you know, 90s mall era culture. So oh, that's great. Well, Danny Trejo, unfortunately, does not have a chain wallet, but no. I bet he's got one in that trailer somewhere. Oh, he's definitely. Well, yeah. this was 1978. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Pipes. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find a pair of those on eBay. Yeah, I, I bet you Lee Pipes are more affordable than Jenko's right now. Because Jenko's tried to make a comeback, Dude, right? if you check the sold listings of Jenko's on eBay, you'll be like, holy shit. Like, a legit pair of Jenko's, like, in good condition goes for, like, 200 bucks or something. I mean, for a pair of jeans, I mean, there's pairs of jeans that... I mean, just for the fabric material alone, that's, like, 200 bucks worth of fabric. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Spalding and Charlie are snorting coke and having a good old time. And then it goes into a montage as Terry Reed plays yet again. The Unholy Two have infiltrated the house. DDP gives Otis a diamond cutter through the window. Wydell approaches Spalding. And uh, yeah, we got a little face off and Wydell shoots Spalding in the leg. I thought it was in the gut. I think it was the leg. Okay. I think so. Yeah. So they load up the family in the car. Wydell is laughing and driving like a madman. And for me, I think we are kind of fully on the Firefly side at this point. At least I was. Because mm. Wydell has just lost it. You know, like when you're speeding and driving like a maniac and you're getting off on the the violence here you're like wow this guy's fucking lost it so white l has him tied up and he begins to torture them he staples a photo to otis so this family has done everything wrong murder necrophilia Mm -hmm. probably cannibalism at some point right probably They they don't mention it sure but there is no mention of incest right so it's like why is that line drawn and not, I don't understand, like, because we, we went back to the hotel scene, like, you know, he uh, uh, does that to that woman and his sister is watching, right? So that's pretty fucked up. But, like, there's no, 
I just wonder why that line, why that is never mentioned or suggested, and uh, why that is the the one thing that doesn't really happen inside that family. Um, I guess nobody can confirm nor deny that. Just a thought. Just yeah, a thought that hey. they do everything else, but like that's never touched upon. Maybe they did. I have no idea. Who knows? Who knows? Just want to bring it up. Maybe Tiny was getting in the mix. I don't know. Whoa. Hey, now with Otis. All right, with Otis. <laughs> okay. okay. Alrighty then. Alrighty then. <laughs> Wydell pulls out a photo of Mary from House of Thousand Corpses, so there's mm-hmm. a little throwback. And I do like the moment. Well, baby's like, yeah, that bitch was mine. You know, I I do like the moment where Spalding is like trying to save Baby from the pain. He's like, no, no, you know, I did it. Like, well, I think they both want it. Is he trying to save her, or are they just yeah, bo- are they I, both gluttons for punishment? I, no, I think Spalding's like trying to spare Baby some pain. Sure. Yeah, because he does show a special shining to her because it's he's always like, "This is my daughter. This mm. is my daughter." You know, and Mother Firefly loves her a lot too. She's like, "Isn't she an angel?" Like she's obviously the favorite. Yeah. So, well, Wydell is uh continuing to get loaded, and he shows them a photo of George, which I thought was so stupid. Like what? getting drunk at that moment, like it's a party, it make, man. It, been... it makes him like much more vulnerable, but I think it kind of adds this tension. So I thought it was a good call. Yeah, and he's almost been like, you could tell he's been like fantasizing about torturing these people for quite some time. He's like making a whole party out of it. See, I think he snaps when when Firefly, Mother Firefly, shows him those pictures of his brother. Yeah, and then it becomes personal. Yeah. Then it becomes like a piece of vengeance. Well, so. he did. He knew that Mother Firefly had killed George, right? Like he was that common knowledge? No, I don't think it was because, it, like, what happens to the body of of Wydell after Spalding shoots him? I don't know. We don't exactly. know, do we? So I don't think he knew. Oh, and so hmm. I think in a way his. It becomes a more personalized vengeance and then justifies his personal vengeance with the murders of all the other people. So, yeah, he's, he's gone kill crazy for these people, but also he thinks in his head that it's justified to kill these people because they're awful people anyway. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when Homeboy was talking about Dimebag. I'm like, dog, <laughs> <laughs> you got it coming. You got it yeah, coming, yeah. bro. Yeah, it's, it's just. I'm about no. to nail you to a chair and like. <laughs> trying to speak ill of the dead especially people that have contributed to culture so much oh, you know god I'm, I'm still heated um all right so he shows them a photo of mother firefly and uh they find out that he killed mother firefly I like when baby's like those pictures aren't real like uh, come on dude i have uh sherry moon's acting question mark question mark this scene is is not that great for her yeah, I've already said that her fake crying and everything. Yeah, isn't there's that great. <clears throat> there's something about this scene that she just doesn't quite pull off. Like it's not bad by any means. It's like a it's like a C plus or something. If you were, I mean, it could have been like it, it could have been a long day. It could be like that the scene that she wasn't really vibing with it, or mm-hmm. there's a multitude of things that could have been going on. But yeah, I thought it was uh, on the lower tier of of her performance. Yeah, and apparently, I think it was this scene, but. Um, she said that during the filming of this, there was a scene where, um, Wydell was making her cry and to like get that emotion up and like to get through those scenes, it like wiped her out for like two days and she didn't come back to set for two days or something. 
maybe this is that time. Yeah, well, she has. This is like the only portion in the movie where she cries, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it has to be that scene. And like I said, it, it looked like she was struggling through those scenes. So yeah. Um. So Wydell nails Otis and Spalding to the chair. And tells Baby to run and sets the place on fire. So Baby is hiding in the barn. She runs into Charlie. Otis and Spalding are waking up. And Wydell kills Charlie. You bastard. It's one of my favorite characters. This is another part of the movie that like it adds to the decline. Like, come on, dude. You pour you douse a house in gasoline. Mm-hmm. You I think there's also a portion of this scene where you can see that he puts gasoline on both Spalding and Otis. And how the hell are they <laughs> look again, suspension of the disbelief, but how the hell are they going to survive and not catch fire? They're all, the house is on fire for like two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. Well, Josh, those were CGI flames. So. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Minor threat. <laughs> all right. So I'm saying like that, that's not possible. Okay. It's unbelievable. Oh, and it also man. like gives these superhuman attributes to these people. And are they supposed to be somewhat superhuman? Because as nah. we even go further along. Right? Nah. I mean, they just... I guess the flames didn't get to them yet. I mean, to be fair, like, yeah, they had gasoline on them, but the flames, like... It's not like they got partially burned or something. Like, the flames hadn't hit them yet, so... It's not like they would just catch on fire from the heat. But also, like, the heat would also, like... And the smoke inhalation and all this, like... You know what I mean? Well, like, I mean, it's just not they don't nearly make it out. So... If Tiny wasn't there, they'd be dead. So... <laughs> he shoots baby in the leg and starts to whip and choke her and at this point i'm like no fuck wide l this guy sucks no. but tiny saves the day breaks his neck yeah i mean he does a full 360 on his neck. oh man he straight up gives him a cane choke slam yeah it was <laughs> it was good it's That's good gotta be cane and it's so interesting that you say you start to hate Wydell here where i'm just like I'm kind of rooting for Wydell here. I want him to. Boo, Josh. I mean, I, I mean, and that's the thing is like, I'm really interested to see like what other people think. And if people are like, boo, Josh, like, cool. More power no, to I'm you. I'm kidding. Don't you dare boo, Josh. But I, I it's, Cause Josh it's like, where baby. is the sympathy? And I think maybe that's part of what he wanted to do. What, what Rob, want, what Rob Zombie wanted to do is create this, this friction of sympathy, you know, who mm. knows? Yeah. So. Well, Tiny saves Otis and Spalding from the CGI flames, and Tiny <laughs> leads them out. And in a very sweet moment, I thought, Tiny goes back inside the house to burn along with the house. Kind of a full circle moment because Tiny was, you know, burned as a child. And why do you think Tiny walked back into the house? I question it. And I, I, I thought about it actually. Like, I think it's also, for one thing, it's. It's a, it's a symbolic, right? Because yeah. this is where he almost died and he f- probably feels like he needs to go back in there and do that. And he can't travel with them because he's too like lumbering and like he couldn't get away like they can. And he doesn't have the kind of strengths they do. Yeah. So maybe he thought I saved my family's life. This was my meaning of life. And this is how I'm going to die now. Yeah. So it's kind of circling back to, to the fire. So that's what I thought. Also, 
Um, another thing, to, another nod is that he looks a lot like Freddy Krueger, like his makeup because he's burnt, obviously. But yeah. also, he's wearing that mask that looks like Jason. Oh, so, part two, Jason. Yeah, tater sack, Jason. Tater sack, Jason. So, is this another nod or is this yeah. coincidental? Probably not. Uh, but maybe could be just a thought. Just a thought. Mm-hmm. Well, it was uh, intriguing when he brought out his razor finger gloves and like sliced wide. <laughs> Come on, dude. Josh is looking at me like, for the third time, you motherfucker. Shut up. <laughs> I'm never Not doing this podcast again. Not at all. <laughs> um, just interesting. I thought the makeup looked very similar to a Freddy makeup and, you know, obviously the tata, the, the sack mask and yeah. everything. And the overalls and the blue. Um, everything. Huh. The look. Okay. Yeah. Well. Q. Freebird. What? You don't like this ending? No. I like the ending. Even though I never need to hear Freebird again for the rest of my life, it fits the scene well. <sighs> I get it. You can't change. You're a murderer. You're just going to kill people for the rest of your life. Won't you it. fly free? Yeah, and it, again, glorifies them, and like they're going to go out in a blaze of glory. I get <sighs> it. Got it. Okay, well, let's break down the scene. All three are beaten and tired. And it's intercut with shots of happier times with the family, which I thought added a nice touch. And I hadn't watched this movie since Sid Haig's death, and these parts made me a little sad to see yeah. like the footage of him and Bill Mosley, who were mm-hmm. still good friends all the way up to his death, like hanging out in the field together, laughing. It made me a little sad. And you can see the look of defeat on Otis's face as he sees the police and he, you can just tell like the acceptance that this is it. Right. So he wakes up the others. Spotting's in bad shape. Blood coming out of his mouth and they load up their guns and speed towards the cops as the solo starts. I dig it. I don't know. I like it. I like it. They're uh, death by, you know. Sure. I mean, I totally get it. It, 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 I, I get the like for it. I get the, the affection for this scene and the, and the entirety of the end. I just, I was tapped out at this point. I was like, I get it. Okay, cool. They're going to ride into the, into the police barrier and be shot to death. And that's how they want to go out in a blaze of glory. I get it. Well, I think it was the perfect ending to this movie. Like I can't think of another ending that would have, uh, fit it any better. Because, hey, you said yourself, like, these are bad people and, you know, they deserve to die. And they die. You know? Right, but should it be a death that is glorious and glorified or a death that is fitting? You know what I mean? Because like, it feels like when you play Freebird and play the solo, it's like, like it, it's like, yeah, I'm kicking ass right now. Like, this is, <laughs> this is the best time of my life. Like, I'm a free bird. Like, this is it. You know, and it's, it's. They never did get locked up though, so maybe that's the freebird thing. They never, they never got taken alive, so maybe that's that's the glorious part. Well, according to Three from Hell, they survived this shootout again. And so this, this is to my point, and I'm glad we're at the end of this, so I can say this. Okay, how the hell are they going to survive that? And even if you're trying to say they did survive, doesn't it completely contradict the ending that you're trying to portray? Sure. Um, well, have you ever seen three from hell? No. Okay. But I have heard about it. 
I've I've watched it. There are some there's some good moments. It's really it's not a bad film by no means, but I mean it came out of like a few years ago. And the whole time I was watching it, I was just thinking, why now? Like this had it come out in two thousand seven, like hot off the success of this movie and we're right. in that mind frame, like, yeah, okay. Let's while it's fresh on everybody's mind, but watching it in twenty twenty or whenever I saw it, I was just like it's like, I don't know. It, it just didn't play Did well. Did they explain why they're still a lot? Said they just, uh, there was like news footage and it was like in a million to one odds, like all three survived. And But if they survive, why aren't they in jail? They were. Oh, they are in jail. Yeah. They, oh, okay. They are in jail. And Sid Haig has like one, practically one scene in the movie because he was in really bad shape at this point. Like you right. can just physically tell, like, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not an awful movie by any means, but just watching it now, I'm like, man, I mean, this should have came out in 2007. What are we doing here? So, but anyways, um, I also think like if they're going to survive that, it does give them like superhuman traits. Like they're not just regular humans. Like they are like the apogee of of murderous freaks, you know? Well, that's the power of Freebird, you know? Hey, man. That solo will uh, revive anybody from the dead. Yeah, you get shot with 17 bullets and you're alive. So, Josh. Yeah. You know what? What do you give this movie 10 point scale? What do you think? Like a 6-3. Really? 6-5. Somewhere okay. around there. Because the it... first first 85% of this film, excellent. Love it. Like, really engaging, really well done. I think it's technically more about 50-60% of the film is the part that you like. And yeah, I mean... I like parts of the end, but I, it really starts to lose me. And I, was, I just kind of was like watching my watching the movie, going, "Come on!" Like I'd throw my hands up, like "Come on!" <laughs> like it was it, not upsetting me, but like yeah. I was getting frustrated with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but yeah, I was like a six two, six five. That's fair. Um, I gotta say, man, when I watched this movie, I, I finished it this morning, and I really enjoyed it. I forgot. Uh, well. I really loved this movie back in the day. True. I had watched it, so it's very nostalgic for me. Had the soundtrack. Um, this movie was very formative for me, mm-hmm. and I didn't think I would like it as much. Um, I think coming I just, back to it, yeah, I think I got kind of turned off by it because it reminds me of Rob Zombie's Halloween because that's what he did two years later, and let's not go there. Um, so I kind of had a negative <laughs> tarnish on it. Uh, but I really enjoyed it upon rewatch. I really did. I I thought the, the comedy balance with the grittiness was done very well. Great music. Great casting. Like all the little, even the little side characters. Um, yeah. I mean, I give it like a solid 7.5. Maybe 8 on a good day. I mean, that's fair. I, I, I mean, wouldn't mind revisiting it maybe again in a month or so. The only reason it's not a seven or a seven higher for me is because I just I can't get with the ending. And I think that it, it's just something that, that will always stick with me is like I don't really like the ending of this film. And like the, the last, like, I don't know, you said, you said like 30% or like the last uh-huh. and the tail end of this movie like doesn't. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, I take it that you like House of a Thousand Corpses better. And see, that that's that's a good question because I think as a whole, Devil's Rejects is a better film. Yeah, it's like story wise better done. Like you know, it, it, it's it's shot better. Like it's obviously 
um, a progression. There's maturation inside of the filmmaking for Rob Zombie. So I think it is a better film the way it's shot and the way it's done and like the colors and you know, all this other kind of stuff. I would say it's about even for me to be honest. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like them, uh, but I like them both pretty good. So, okay. I mean, I love house of a thousand corpses cause it has nostalgia for me. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as far as like the skill level and, and, and enjoyment of the film, I think it's, they're, they're both good films. Yeah. Well, they're very different films. Sure. Um, this is a good movie to watch on like, like a hot summer night when you're having a few beers. Oh, yeah. House of a Thousand Corpses for me is turn like, the air conditioner off. Oh, just like out here in the shed, <laughs> but yeah. bust a sweat out here. Um, and House of a Thousand Corpses for me is a yearly Halloween watch. Right. So it, when I think of each movie, it makes me think of different things. Um, what movie would pair nicely with this? Hmm. Maybe Texas Chainsaw or something. That's another good hot and sweaty horror movie slaughterhouse slaughter i've never seen it it's a cool one okay um hey what are other movies where i know you, you know you you didn't side with the the villain per se but you know we brought up from dusk till dawn like anti-hero stuff yeah isn't like true romance isn't that kind of a natural born killers natural born killers is definitely one love that movie Kind of put me on the spot here, but no, it's all good. Yeah. Uh. Well, they're out there. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on the Devil's Rejects, Josh? If you haven't seen it, see it. Uh, yeah, it's sure. definitely a solid movie. Um, in my personal opinion, aside on the ending, I, I really encourage people to watch the film and, um, you know, obviously gather your own opinion. But I think that's why we do this podcast is to have, you know, some sort of insight and, you know, some sort of like opinion on it. But definitely watch the movie. It's it's definitely horrifying uh, at times, comedic, funny, um, gory, really raw, visceral. Um, I definitely would say watch it. And uh, yeah, it's definitely if you like horror movies of the era, it's one of one of the top for sure. Yeah, and I feel like there's more that we could dive into, you know, have to about like the moral dilemma of this movie, if you yeah. will. But you know, I'm a huge Halloween fan. I have a Halloween tattoo. You I do have tons of Michael Myers stuff. It doesn't mean I'm like, yeah, killing's cool. You know, right. it's no, like totally. It's a character that I mean, it's fiction. Yeah, it's a fictional. So I guess I root for. I don't know if rooting is the right word. I'm just along on this journey. Like I wouldn't say I'm really rooting for these characters, but for some reason I I'm well, I guess I am kind of rooting for him. I don't know. I mean, you hate the guy that's trying to kill him. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I mean, that's another thing I think that uh you want to watch that movie. I, I want I want people to watch that movie and I'll ask them, you know, who were you rooting for in this movie? You know, because I think that also marks a a good aspect of, of a film, right? Yeah. Where it's like you, who are you rooting for and why? Because all art is interpretable, right? Mm-hmm. And the story is interpretable. So I think it's interesting to see which side you root for and how you feel and why, you know? Yeah. I guess that's the mark of a good film. Yeah. If you can sit down and have a discussion about it afterwards, if it makes you feel something right. So it, you know, even with horror films or, or anything like that, I mean, it makes you feel something. It makes yeah. you feel anything right it puts you into a world and then you escape 
our real world for an hour and 40 minutes. You know what I mean? And you come out on the other end with uh, thoughts and ideas. So I yeah. think it's definitely a well-made, solid horror film. Um, and I think that, you know, the fandom is well-deserved. And I also think that the criticism is well-deserved. I think it's 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 a whole plate of stuff. Yeah. Um, personally, I say it's Rob Zombie's best movie through and through. It's definitely his most mature movie that I've seen. But again, let's let's be completely clear here. Crystal. Um, <laughs> Crystal Pepsi. Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> um, are we Crystal? <laughs> Crystal, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, total pastiche. Love yeah. it. Um, you know, and it has its flaws. But I think Devil's Rejects is 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 good. Uh, I honestly have not seen anything else past that. I think I saw Lords of Salem once, but I don't really remember it. Okay. To be honest. Yeah. All right. Um, you know that Rob Zombie was supposed to make a hockey movie at one point. God, never... I would have loved that. You know, I, I love know. sports movies, dude. Yeah. It was, I think it was about the, uh, I forgot what team it was. Maybe the Flyers. They were a team that they were like so violent. Oh that, yeah. The bullies. Broad yeah. Street bullies. Yeah. He was supposed yeah. to make a movie about that. I would have loved to have seen Oh, that would have been super awesome. Cause he's so good at finding that grit inside yeah. of stuff. Yeah. You he could have I mean? made it like real gritty. Teeth and... getting knocked out. People getting slashed in the face, like broken legs. He could and... go crazy with the cursing and all that. Totally. Yeah. The Broad Street bullies were definitely an infamous team. Shout out to the hurricanes. Whooping ass. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Anything else you want to add, Josh? Not really. Go get yourself some tutti fucking fruity. Ooh, Have a nice day, dude. Some ice cream would be pretty killer right now. It's yeah. hot as fuck out here. Yeah, it's pretty hot down there. Tutti fucking fruity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, hey, thanks for coming back on the podcast, man. It's always a pleasure. I'll always be here if you invite me. Hey, well, we are going to be churning out more episodes of VH Snacking and uh, hopefully some more Spook House episodes as well. Bring it on. Bring it on, baby. All right. Um, thank you guys for listening. It means a lot. If you uh, dig the episode, if you dig the podcast, maybe drop five stars on iTunes. Check out Josh at LunchMeetVHS on Instagram and LunchMeetVHS.com. Thank you, sir. Look out for that uh that sweet magazine that's coming. Coming very VH soon. All right. Uh, anything else you want to plug? Fucking cue that Freebird solo, boy. Oh, my God. Yes. Here it comes. No, uh, <laughs> oh, by the way, the finale song, Seed of Memory by Terry Reed, one of my favorite songs of all time. Now, I'm going to just listen to some Terry Reed tonight, though. Had, oh, Fun fact about Terry Reed. Oh, yeah. Did you know that he turned down the lead singer position of Deep Purple? Did not know that. Did you also know that Jimmy Page approached him to be the singer in his band, which later turned into Led Zeppelin? Sounds like he turned down two big ones. Yeah. So, there you go. Terry Reed's fucking legend. Well, I guess he's a free bird. Doing what (laughs) what he wants to do, you know? Bye-bye. It's been a sweet life. All right. You know, let's go uh, get some ice cream, listen to Leonard Skinner. Sounds good, man. I'm there. Cool. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. I love you so much. Bye.